0: We can make a difference. We can make a difference. Separate the bad from the the good.
1: Hi everyone, I'm Em and welcome to Verbal Diorama episode 142, The Lion King. This is the podcast that's all about the history and legacy of movies you know and movies you don't. And welcome to the final episode of the third birthday of Verbal Diorama. Because as of the release of this episode, the third birthday of the podcast was yesterday. But I'm doing three animated movies over the course of three days, and this is the final of those animated movies. As always, whether you are a regular returning listener or a brand new listener because you're just a huge fan of The Lion King, thank you so much for being here. You are wonderful and amazing, and I'm so grateful that you're here because I am doing something that I like to call Animation Season 2022. This is the 10th movie that I'm featuring this Animation Season which is quite amazing if you consider that it only happens over January and February. So I have really tried hard to push the boat out and do as much as I possibly can to cover as many different animated movies as I can, because animation is one of my favourite things to talk about. It's not what I exclusively talk about on this podcast. I talk about all sorts of movies, but there's something really special about animation to me. And I love to geek out on animation. I love to find out more about animation. I love to know how they do it. So. That's basically what this podcast is here for. I would like to find out how they do it and then tell you how they did it. There's a couple of reasons why I like to focus on animation and I have an animation season. And that's mostly because I feel like animation is often given a bit of a short shift because people think, A, it's a genre. It's not a genre. And B, that people think it's just for children. And animation is for everyone. There are some movies that are purely for children that are animated But generally, animation is a medium that is there for everybody to enjoy. And honestly, you can get so much out of animated movies that more people actually really need to consider watching more animation. And basically, stop thinking that it's just for children, because it's not. And really, The Lion King, such a great example of a movie that children and adults alike can enjoy, can get something out of. And similarly with any of the movies that I've featured on this podcast ever, As an adult, I enjoy watching these movies, but really we need to stop the stigma that animation is just for children because it really is not. Before we start, I just wanted to say a huge thank you to everyone who's listened to any episode of this podcast, really, but mostly the previous episodes of this podcast. So most recently, I've done episodes on Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, and the most recent episodes that I've done have actually all come out this week. I'm covering the Disney Renaissance, because why not? I did The Little Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast and the response to both of those episodes has just been so great. So The Little Mermaid came out two days ago as of this episode and Beauty and the Beast came out yesterday. Both of those I basically like to tell the story of how the Disney sort started and that's in the Little Mermaid episode and then moving on to Beauty and the Beast which is actually a bit of a tribute to Howard Ashman because he was a genius and so much missed. Throughout all of animation season, I've covered loads of different movies from loads of different studios, but I always promised that I would get to Disney. And when it comes to Disney, there's nothing really bigger than Disney's Renaissance, which was a period that started in 1989 and officially goes through to 1999, so that 10-year period is generally seen as some of the best animation that Disney has ever done. And so to conclude, this Disney Renaissance special, the 10th movie, this animation season, is a movie that was never actually seen by Disney as anything special. It was actually a B project at Disney. and then everything changed. Here's the trailer for The Lion King. <laughs>
0: We are, the circle of life. we are all connected in the great circle of life. Walt Disney Pictures presents its all-new 30-second full-length animated motion picture, The Lion King. He was born to rule. This will all be mine? Everything the light touches, but a shadow lies over the kingdom. I will be king. Run away and never return. No! If you ever come back, we'll kill you! Hey, kid, what's in you? I don't want to talk about it. He looks blue. I'd say brownish gold. No, no, no. I mean, he's depressed. Anything we can do? Not unless you can change the past. He grew up hoping to leave his old life behind. I know who you are. You're Mufasa's boy. You're the king. King? Have you got your lions crossed? You know my father? Correction. I know your father. He died. A long time ago. Nope! Wrong again! <laughs> He's alive! And I'll show him to you! Father? You are my son, and the one true king. You see, he lives in you. You must take your place in the circle of life. Simba! It's a legendary tale filled with excitement. <laughs> plus dozens of wonderful new characters why do I always have uh, to save your ah! and featuring original music and songs by Grammy winner Elton John and Academy Award winner Tim Rice Walt Disney Pictures presents an entertainment event you'll never forget
1: Being anointed as the next king, young lion cub Simba is every bit as eager to take his proud father Mufasa's place as king. However, this makes Simba's villainous uncle Scar even more jealous of his brother and nephew. When Mufasa dies trying to protect Simba from a stampede caused by Scar, Simba feels responsible for his death and runs away from home. Meeting up with two outcasts named Timon and Pumbaa, Simba embraces their ways of Hakuna Matata. Years later, his childhood friend Nala finds him and Simba must return home, to stop Scar's evil reign and fulfill his destiny as the new king. As always, we'll quickly run through the cast. We have Matthew Broderick as Simba, Jonathan Taylor Thomas as young Simba, Jeremy Irons as Scar, James Earl Jones as Mufasa, Moira Kelly as Nala, Nikita Kalami as young Nala, Nathan Lane as Timon, Ernie Sabella as Pumba, Robert Guillaume as Rafiki, Rowan Atkinson as Zazu. Madge Sinclair as Sarabi, Whoopi Goldberg as Shenzi, Cheech Marin as Banzai, and Jim Cummings as Ed. The Lion King had a screenplay by Irene Mekki, Jonathan Roberts, and Linda Wolverton, a story by Brenda Chapman, Barry Johnson, Andy Gaskill, Kevin Harkey, Tom Sito, Rick Mackey, Bernie Mattinson, Lorna Cook, Gary Trousdale, Jorgen Klubian, Larry Lecker, Ed Gombert, Mark Kausler, Tom Enriquez, Jim Capobianco, Chris Sanders, Joe Ranft and Francis Glebus, and was directed by Roger Allers and Rob Minkoff. On both anniversary episodes so far I've given some information as to where Disney was pre-Renaissance and during the heyday of its Renaissance. For the purposes of this story I'm bypassing Aladdin mostly because the episode already exists in the verbal diorama canon and it's not a full episode because it's more of a comparison between the animated Aladdin and the live action Aladdin. If you are interested, that episode is episode nine, but it is a very early episode. And yeah, it's not really the sort of format that I do anymore. But for the purposes of this, started with The Little Mermaid. We went to Beauty and the Beast. The story now essentially skips from Beauty and the Beast to The Lion King. And hopefully you have listened to the episodes on The Little Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast. At the time, Disney was being guided by chief executive Michael Eisner and division head Jeffrey Katzenberg. It bounced back after a disastrous early mid-80s and in 1989 had yielded the revolution of animation, The Little Mermaid, which had only been improved on by Beauty and the Beast and Aladdin. They were critical successes. They were commercial smash hits. They brought Broadway into animation and drew in children and adults alike with beautiful animation, bright colours, relatable characters and wonderful songs. When it came to Disney's next big movie, it was a story steeped in tradition. Again, it would be traditionally animated and everyone at Disney was excited. This was going to be the next step of evolution for Disney. It would send the company into the stratosphere because they were going to make Pocahontas. And this is me being facetious, Disney were all in with Pocahontas. And it's reasonably well known that The Lion King was the project that animators didn't want to be originally included in. All that soon changed, however. The Lion King is the first Disney animated feature to not be based on an existing story, but more on the slight controversy surrounding that in a little bit. During a conversation in 1988 on A Play to Europe, Jeffrey Katzenberg, Roy E. Disney and Peter Schneider discussed an idea of an animated feature set in Africa, with Katzenberg immediately interested in the idea of a coming-of-age drama. Thomas Dish, the author of The Brave Little Toaster, would write a treatment in November 1988 called King of the Kalahari. Dish's treatment would go no further at Disney, and Linda Wolverton, who you'll remember wrote the screenplay of Beauty and the Beast, started writing draft scripts, titled King of the Beasts and then King of the Jungle. King of the Jungle was envisaged as a non-musical. Back to those non-musicals again. You know where this is going. And it was a tale of the rivalry between lions and baboons. Scar was the leader of the Baboons, Rafiki was a cheetah and Timon and Pumbaa were childhood friends of the protagonist Simba, a lazy prince under the influence of Scar. In 1990, the Rescuers Down Under producer Thomas Schumacher decided he wanted to be involved in something he perceived as an animated National Geographic special. Schumacher wouldn't get his wish, though, as Oliver & Company director George Scribner signed on board and was joined by Roger Allers as co-director and Brenda Chapman as head of story. Several of the crew, including Allers, Scribner, Chapman, Don Hahn and production designer Chris Sanders, took a research trip to Africa, specifically to Hell's Gate National Park in Kenya, to observe the animals there as well as the surrounding natural environment. It was this trip that the idea of the circle of life formed within the mind of Roger Allers while observing a lioness and her cubs and their kill of a gazelle with the lions eating from the carcass. His idea was for a kingdom of animals with the lions as the royal family and the circle of life forming from the smallest insects up to the mightiest cats. Every animal played its part. Six months of story development work later, it was becoming clear that an animated National Geographic documentary wasn't going to cut it as a Disney movie, and producers decided to turn King of the Jungle into an animated musical. George Scribner would leave the project after creating differences based on this change. Rob Minkoff would come on board to replace him. The script was rewritten as a coming-of-age musical and the title was also changed because A. Lions don't live in the jungle and B. Lions live in the savannah. The Lion King was its new name and additional changes included Scar becoming a lion and not a monkey's uncle but the protagonist's uncle to bring the threat to inside the family unit. This wasn't going to rely on anthropomorphic animals like Disney had done in the past with Robin Hood and the Aristocats. These were going to be as realistic as they could possibly be and there would be no human involvement whatsoever. The closest cousin to the Lion King in Disney's canon would be Bambi, and even that had a human hunter as the antagonist. The story of the Lion King is said to be inspired by stories of Joseph and Moses, a little bit of a nod there to the Prince of Egypt, which I've covered this animation season, as well as Shakespeare's Hamlet, but really only the basics of the story are similar to Hamlet. A prince who in theory could become king, has his kingdom taken away by an uncle who killed the king, the prince's father, That prince leaves the kingdom at some point, sidekick characters provide comic relief, the ghost of the slain king's father speaks to the young prince, but ultimately no one dies at the end except the uncle. There's also a fair argument out there, if you're going to compare it to any Shakespearean tragedy, that the Lion King is perhaps more similar to Macbeth. Specifically, the Simba is Malcolm theory and the themes of greed and ambition from Scar's point of view. Now, I'm not a Shakespearean scholar. I've studied a little of the Bard in the past because I'm English and that's what we do, But ultimately, Hamlet is a tragedy, as is Macbeth, to be fair. And The Lion King has tragic moments, but it's not a tragedy. It's a very loose adaptation, at the very least. The story for The Lion King was almost continually going through changes as well. So much so that even during animation, scenes would be delivered, completed. But because of dialogue changes, needed to be reanimated. So they had an outline for the story, but they needed some music. Howard Ashman had, as I mentioned last episode, died in 1991 and Alan Menken was instead busy working on Disney's next big thing, Pocahontas, alongside Stephen Schwartz. Another nice nod to the Prince of Egypt there. Instead, they contacted Tim Rice, who had taken over as lyricist for Aladdin after Howard Ashman's death to complete that movie. They asked Rice, who would he like to work with? And he said, Elton John, because of course you want to work with Elton John. But stipulated there was no chance that Disney would actually get Elton John. I mean, you don't need me to tell you, they did indeed get Elton John. He was inspired by The Jungle Book because he felt the music appealed to both children and adults and this was exactly the sort of feel he wanted from his involvement with The Lion King. Matthew Broderick was cast as the adult Simba early during the production and only ever met one other cast member during that time. Tim Curry was originally considered for Scar and how amazing would that have been, by the way? Jeremy Irons would be cast, but he initially refused it as he didn't want to play a comedic role. His performance in Reversal of Fortune was key to the tone for Scar and animators incorporated his mannerisms into the character. Famously, when Jeremy Irons was performing Be Prepared, his voice cut out and he couldn't continue with the recording. Jim Cummings, who plays the hyena Ed in the movie, would sing the last third of the song in place of Jeremy Irons. And it's basically the part after. You won't get a sniff without me. I'm not going to do a Jeremy Irons impression. That's pointless. But... There is a slight change, if you listen very carefully to the track, there is a slight change after that part, but otherwise it's quite seamless, and you wouldn't know unless you knew, and now you know. You couldn't imagine James Earl Jones as anything other than Mufasa, and probably also Darth Vader, but reportedly Liam Neeson and Timothy Dalton were considered, but James Earl Jones just has that wonderful, incredible, naturally booming voice, and Perfectly suited for a lion, really, because you can imagine James Earl Jones roaring with that incredible voice. Nathan Lane and Ernie Sabella were asked to record together, originally for the hyenas. But they were so funny, they were instead cast as Timon and Pumbaa. Then comedy duo Cheech and Chong were instead sought out to voice the hyenas. But while Cheech Marin was available, Tommy Chong was not. So Shenzi was changed to a female hyena and Whoopi Goldberg, who was mostly known for her comedic protagonist roles, talk a comedic antagonist role instead. And I've mentioned a couple of times Pocahontas and in truth, most of the established animation team wanted to work on Pocahontas. And this left the Lion King with animators either working on their first major production or animators who had interest in animating animals. Despite the prestige being on Pocahontas, Disney still had over 600 artists working on the Lion King at both the Flower Street site in Glendale, California and also Disney's MGM studio in Florida. Animators studied real animals similar to back in the 1940s with Bambi. Jim Fowler, a wildlife expert, visited the studios on multiple occasions with fully grown lions, lion cubs and other featured animals, and behaviours in the wild were discussed, as well as attempting to depict the fastness and rich environments of the Hell's Gate National Park from their initial field trip. Throughout production, Bambi was noted as the key inspiration for this story, have characters that looked and acted like real wild animals, but that could show emotion through facial expressions. And this is something that the live-action movie just could not do due to its photorealistic lions. And yes, I am going to come to the fact that I tried to watch that movie and I couldn't finish it. Okay. This focus on the colours of Africa rather than a photorealistic Africa and a naturalistic art style meant that the Lion King's animators put extra emphasis on the natural world the grass, the way the sun shines, rain, fire and smoke. I mentioned last episode that Beauty and the Beast contains real shots of smoke. The Lion King actually contains the first ever shots of dust. And I don't mean the famous SEX controversy or indeed SFX because it does say SFX, not SEX. But visual effects history was made with the dust in the famous wildebeest stampede as well as the stampede itself. Unlike Beauty and the Beast, which used CG as a background for 2D characters to be placed upon, the Lion King, and Aladdin before it, would have 2D characters interacting with CG characters. Wildebeest herd behaviours were studied, and the CG animation team programmed a follow-the-leader scenario, where they rendered circles on screen that would mimic real-life stampedes. But that was just circles following circles, so next they had to animate a convincing wildebeest, which at first didn't work. The animals just didn't look like they belonged in the 2D version of The Lion King's Savannah. It was animator Ruben Aquino, who'd made a detailed wildebeest sketch from that research trip, who literally saved this entire sequence. He animated a cycle of a wildebeest running, which looked natural and lifelike. This cycle was attached to the circle herd, which created a herd of animals that looked and reacted naturally to the environment around them by each wildebeest being programmed to use a random path down the mountainside This two-and-a-half-minute scene took the animators at Disney more than two years to complete. They then went about using CAPS, Pixar's computer animation production system, and I talked about that in both previous episodes on The Little Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast. It is a digital scanning ink and paint and compositing software that minimised the amount of time it took to manually paint cells. It introduced transparent shading, six million colours, and opacity that lent itself perfectly to creating dust, which as dust isn't a solid shape, the cloud would be painted to integrate it into a scene, then blurred and given varying levels of opacity. Just like dust clouds, or indeed any clouds, low-lying mist or fog in real life, there are varying levels of opacity. And the Lion King used this to great effect to show the aftermath of the stampede. Not many times in your life will you utter the words, dust was a key moment in animation history, but here we go, that's what I'm saying, because here it was. So at this point... We don't talk about Kimba, no, no, no. We don't talk about Kimba. But we actually do need to talk about Kimba. We need to talk about Kimba the White Lion. What is Kimba the White Lion? Well, the name isn't the only similarity. Kimba the White Lion is a manga and anime series and anime film written by Asamu Takuza, known in Japan as Jungle Emperor, about a white lion cub named Kimba whose father dies and he's driven away, only to find a lion with a scarred left eye called Claw ruling in his place. There's a friendly lioness called Lyra, a wise old mentor called Danny, hyena henchman called Tom and Tab, a friendly bird confidant called Pauly Cracker, and a scene where a character clings for dear life to a tree during a stampede. So yeah, there's a few similarities between The Lion King and Kimber the White Lion. Roger Allers denied having knowledge of Kimber until late in production, as did co-director Rob Minkoff, animators Tom Sito and Mark Nausler, who both have story credits, have admitted to watching Kimba in their youth. Despite the protests and letters to Disney, neither Tezuka's estate nor Tezuka Productions have ever pursued a copyright infringement lawsuit against Disney, despite the remarkable similarities between characters and plot. This was mostly due to the fact that as a small company, they felt they couldn't take on the behemoth of Disney, who obviously have the benefit of huge amounts of corporate lawyers and money. Tezuka has never been credited for providing any inspiration for The Lion King. And his company has since acknowledged that Kimba and The Lion King are different stories with different themes. And just to add a couple more obstacles to this production, the production itself was hit by an earthquake in Los Angeles in January, 1994, which prevented many of the animators either getting home if they were in the office or getting to the office if they were at home. Work still continued, though, with some animators working from home to get the job done. And speaking of getting the job done, let's move on to the obligatory Keanu reference of this episode. So this is a part of the podcast where I try to link the movies I'm featuring with Keanu Reeves, because why would you not? And technically, with the limited release of The Lion King taken into effect, and I'm going to talk about that shortly, The Lion King and Speed were released in the same week. Speed obviously starred Keanu Reeves. Obviously Speed was number one at the box office, but that's kind of by the by, The Lion King was only released in two cinemas, whereas Speed had a huge wide release and was amazing and intensely popular, but an easy way to link Keanu to this movie. I briefly mentioned the inclusion of Elton John on the soundtrack of this movie and obviously Tim Royce as well. Elton John and Tim Rice wrote five original songs for The Lion King and I've not even talked about any of the songs, but Hakuna Matata is one of the best Disney songs ever. The score for The Lion King was composed by Hans Zimmer and it really is such an outstanding score, especially in that stampede scene. Zimmer was hired based on his previous work in The Power of One and A World Apart. The score was supplemented by traditional African music and a choir arranged by South African producer Libo M, who sang the opening song in Zulu. The Circle of Life was reportedly written by Elton John in an hour and a half. And the soundtrack to The Lion King is one of the most popular soundtracks ever. It sold over 18 million copies in the US and eventually went 10 times platinum in 1995, becoming the biggest selling soundtrack ever from an animated film. It was also nominated for six Grammys, winning three, Best Male Pop Vocal Performance for Can You Feel The Love Tonight, Best Musical Album for Children, and Best Instrumental Arrangement Accompanying Vocalists for Circle of Life, performed by Carmen Twilley. And when it came to marketing this movie, and specifically the trailer, for the first time in Disney's history, they chose to use the four-minute opening sequence featuring the Circle of Life as the first trailer, which was both ballsy, actually, and kind of obvious as well. Because it gave nothing away about the movie and yet told us this was a story setting Africa with this glorious African choir and Carmen Twilly and Lebo M's beautiful vocals and lions and animals and all sorts of things going on. And it was really a genius idea to do. Another thing that Disney did, which was different to anything they'd ever done before, was talking about the three previous Disney Renaissance hits. So The Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast and Aladdin. They'd all come out towards the end of the year to take advantage of the Thanksgiving and Christmas markets. Disney took a punt with The Lion King for a summer release. And a summer release in an especially crowded summer. This was alongside huge movies like True Lies, Speed, as I said, Forrest Gump and The Mask. On its limited release on the 15th of June 1994, it played in only two locations, the El Capitan Theatre in Los Angeles and Radio City Music Hall in New York. It was released wide on the 24th of June 1994 and hit number one in the US. It was also released in 28 languages and dialects across the world, including a version in Zulu for the first time for its release in South Africa. It's the only time a Disney movie would be dubbed into Zulu and the only one translated into any African language other than Arabic. While Moana would receive Maori and Hawaiian versions and Frozen 2 would be dubbed into Northern Sami, The Lion King was the first movie to be dubbed into the language of the movie's background. And there's really no way to kind of sugarcoat this. The Lion King was a phenomenon. Disney's marketing machine had whetted the appetites of moviegoers and it grossed a previously unheard of amount for an animated feature. $422.8 million in North America. $545.7 million worldwide. Becoming the highest grossing animated movie of all time plus the highest-grossing film of 1994, its record for the highest-grossing animation would be surpassed by the next movie being featured on this podcast, actually, and that is Toy Story 3. While it's been surpassed several times over since, it remains the highest-grossing, hand-drawn animated film. It would also get re-released in IMAX in 2002 and into 3D in 2011, which basically sets its worldwide box office gross to almost $1 billion. And again, I don't think I need to tell you that The Lion King appeared on many critics' end-of-year lists in 1991, received universal praise for its animation, its Shakespearean tone and its epic scope. Disney were clearly showing maturity in their animated canon, and that maturity would continue with slightly more mixed responses going forward. It received four Golden Globe Award nominations, four Oscar nominations. The film would go on to win three Golden Globes for Best Motion Picture, Musical or Comedy. Best Original Score and Best Original Song for Can You Feel the Love Tonight, as well as two Academy Awards for Best Original Score for Hans Zimmer and Best Original Song with Can You Feel the Love Tonight. The songs Circle of Life and Hakuna Matata were also nominated. And as I mentioned last episode, Beauty and the Beast also had three nominations for Best Original Song. The Lion King has three nominations for Best Original Song. It's something that the Academy does not allow anymore you are only allowed a maximum of two so let's talk about some sequels Uh, the lion king 2 simba's pride carries on the story with simba as a parent to his daughter kiara the lion king one and a half is a chronological concurrent sequel focusing on timon and pumba a tv series the lion king's timon and pumba also had a direct dv sequel film called around the world with timon and pumba the lion guard debuted as a television movie followed by a series as a direct sequel to The Lion King 2, centering around Simba and Nala's second cub, Keon. And a live-action, but not really live-action remake, came out in 2019. Now, I tried to watch it. I got about 20 minutes in before switching it off. From what I could gather, it's mostly a shot-for-shot remake, which is fine. I don't have a problem with the fact it's a shot-for-shot remake. I like the cast. There's some huge names involved, and I'm a big fan of pretty much everyone involved in that movie. I just did not like it. It didn't work for me. There was no emotion. There was no facial expressions. It was watching real lions and don't get me wrong, looked amazing. But for me, I guess it comes back to how I feel about the live action Beauty and the Beast. It feels soulless. And to be honest, I don't know if I will ever go back and try and watch it again. Because why would you watch something like that when you have something like the 1994 original just there? And it's excellent. So I don't know. But it's not very often that I'll say that I couldn't finish a movie. And maybe it was because I wasn't feeling it that night. And maybe if I do go back to it, maybe I would actually enjoy it. But I really struggled. I really struggled with the fact that the characters didn't show any facial expressions or emotions. Because it's really tough to get emotion out of a character just through their voice. It's almost impossible. So, I yeah, I could not connect with that movie at all. And I haven't seen Black is King either, but I know that I should, and I will. Black is King is inspired by The Lion King, as well as serving as a visual album, curated by the queen herself, Beyonce, and Beyonce obviously stars in the 2019 version. And I'm a huge fan of Beyonce. I just, just didn't like that movie. I'm really sorry, Beyonce. I'm really sorry. I feel like I need to apologize to Beyonce now. I'm really sorry, Beyonce. And a stage musical opened on Broadway in 1997. It's the third longest running show and highest grossing Broadway production in history. And that has adaptations all over the world. So The Lion King. Not bad for Disney's B Project, am I right? While Pocahontas is decent enough, despite its personal controversies, The Lion King is so beyond Pocahontas with what it's trying to achieve. Elton John and Tim Rice add a different dynamic for the musical numbers. The fact they even got music icon Elton John involved suggests that maybe he sees a project like this as worthy of his time and expertise. Hmm, maybe animation isn't just for children after all. Anyway, for all the moments of sombre clarity and mild peril, these are, after all, wild animals. There are moments of colour and joy. Timon dressing in drag and doing the hula will never not delight. The whole of Hakuna Matata is... Honestly, outstanding. I love that song so much. Rowan Atkinson is always fantastic and Jeremy Irons adds layers of delicious spare-to-the-air drama baggage and I love it. It's kind of apt, actually, that the collective noun for lions is a pride because Disney's pride shines through with this movie. Scenes in this movie detailing African heritage and black pride would also be mimicked somewhat in Black Panther and I don't think that's purely coincidental. I've never been to anywhere in Africa. I do hope to one day, but it seems that it's many varying nationalities and people are full of spirituality and energy. And that extends to these beautiful animal species too. Many of which you just don't see on any other continent. So I feel like the continent of Africa is so special. And I love that a movie like this really puts a focus on such a beautiful part of the world. There's a real emotional resonance here that can't be replicated. They did try, after all, with the uh, 2019 version. It remains one of the shining jewels that Disney's animated features full stop, a movie that you can revisit over and over. The fact that they accomplished this with no human beings in the story whatsoever remains an astonishing feat. Disney was always pushing boundaries and wanting to try new things. The Lion King may have returned to cinemas in a new way, but while that version broke box office records itself, really the nostalgia for this version is everlasting. Because this is the version you can and will go back to. This is the one that will stir the emotions of a child becoming an adult and taking on the responsibilities as such. This movie is 30 years old in 2024. It never feels it and it probably never will. It is and always will be. Groundbreaking. Thank you for listening. As always, I would love to hear your thoughts on The Lion King. And that's it three episodes on the Disney Renaissance done. I hope that you have enjoyed these episodes. I hope that you've got something out of these episodes. And I hope that you've enjoyed listening to me for three concurrent days. I'm not going to go through any of the normal post-episode stuff that I go through. But I just want to say a huge thank you to everyone who's supported me, supported this podcast, just by doing really, really simple things like leaving a rating or review or retweeting a post or anything like that that has been such an amazing help for this podcast and I'm so grateful to everyone who's listening or who has ever listened who may not be listening anymore but if they're not listening anymore then they won't know that I know that they're not listening but anyway the next episode of this podcast as I've said going back to a Thursday release next Thursday is going to be Toy Story 3 it's not going to be the final movie of animation season, though because I'm going to slip something else in there as well. But I'm really excited to be talking about Toy Story 3. To me, the Toy Story trilogy is one of the greatest trilogies ever made in film, ever. So I'm so excited. I've covered Toy Story, I've covered Toy Story 2, and now I'm going to be moving on to Toy Story 3. And I'm really, really excited for everyone to hear that next week. So I guess all that's left for me to say is, and finally,
0: Hakuna Matata. What a wonderful phrase. Hakuna Matata. Ain't no peasant craze. It means no worries for the rest of your days. It's our problem-free philosophy. Hakuna Matata. Hakuna Matata? Uh, It's our motto. What's the motto? Nothing. What's the motto with you? <laughs> <laughs> you know, kid, these two words will solve all your problems. That's right. Take Pumbaa, for example. Why, when he was a young warthog. When I was a young warthog. Very nice. Thanks. He found his aroma like a certain appeal. He could clear the savannah after every meal. I'm a sensitive soul, though I seem thick skin. It hurt that my friends never stood down the wind. And oh, the shame. He was a change What a change in my name. Oh, in your name? And I got down How did you feel? Every time that hey, I Pumper, not in front of the kids. Oh, sorry. Bye. Movies vision.